0: we also would love to connect with you on our social media on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! I got the privilege, and I always say this every time that I come up on stage it's always such a privilege to share the Word of God with you. It's a responsibility, it makes me appreciate so much. Our pastors that put such hard work every week just to pull gold from the presence of god uh, i can tell by this is the third time i'm speaking in a row so it's i can tell by the weekly push you know like i'm, I'm grinding and i'm praying god what are you what do you want to say you know i don't take this lightly it is a great responsibility to be here it is a privilege an honor because my prayer during the week is, God, prepare what you want to do in the hearts of the people that are going to be there in that Sunday. Prepare the word that you have for them, the word that you have for me. Because when I'm prepping a message, it's also like, God, what are you speaking to my heart? What needs to change in my heart? What needs to be different? And I, I really love the season that we're in, talking about the revelation like you watch in Pastor Sean's video. Really go back to our YouTube channel. I think it's three weeks ago. Listen to this message. It talks about our responsibility as a church. What are we doing as a church to step in into what goal God called us to step in? So we're going to continue to dive in deeper. And he, Pastor Sean gave this message. It's called Move Into Maturity. If you're looking at our YouTube channel, look for the message title, Move Into Maturity. And he gave us three points during that week. The first one was cultivating maturity, cultivating it. The second one was conquering. And that's what we're going to be diving in today. I'm going to expand what does it look like to conquer things in the presence of God. How do we conquer? How do we move? So I want to read a passage to you and we'll be basing the entire passage out of this one verse. I know we're going to be reading different verses throughout the, the message this morning. But we're going to be reading out of uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verse 8. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. I know most people carry their Bibles on their phones nowadays. I miss those days that people actually brought their Bibles to church. Um, anyways, let's read uh, Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Look, I am giving all this land to you. Go in and occupy it. For it is the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all their descendants. And we're going to be talking about, we talked about the last few weeks about it's time to grow up into stepping to the maturity of God, what God called us. And today we're going to be talking, it's time to conquer. And we're going to see what that looks like in three steps that we're going to be breaking this passage into, And first of all, we got to understand, what does conquer mean? Conquer is to take possession of something, right? It's to take, and in, in order to take possession, some, there must be a previous owner to that place. So you're taking possession from a previous owner. And uh, there needs to be, once you conquer a new space, a new sense of ownership, of care. Otherwise, you wouldn't care. Like you can tell by Harley's story about the tornado. She really cared about a house that wasn't hers. But they were established at their house. So there was a sense of ownership. Hey, this is ours. The tornado is not going to touch us. So the, the first thing that I see in this verse is on the very first word of the verse. that it says, look, I am giving this land to you. So the word look. The first thing that you want to understand if you want to conquer something, you got to learn to see it. Vision is super important. It's the most important thing. It's the starting point of everything. In order to leave a, a kingdom life, you need vision. And this passage is talking about the promised land that God had for his people. And we know that the people of Israel wandered around the desert until they got to that point where they could see finally the land. And Moses appointed leaders and said, Hey, I'm going to send 12 of my leaders, 12 of my guys, to this land. Go and look and tell me what you see. And let's read quickly those verses in Numbers 13. It says, this was their report to Moses, okay? So this chapter, Moses is sending them. He sends the 12. I won't read all the names uh, here this morning, but this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey, and here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, And their towns are large and fortified, and we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We're going to jump a few verses, but out of all these reports, someone brought a different report, and his name is Caleb. But Caleb, in verse 30, says, Tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses and said, Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them, they are stronger than we are. Man, I'm always challenged by this passage because if you think Moses is sending his best leaders to go check out the land. And Caleb is the one that, after seeing, brings a, a good report. Everybody saw that it was the promised land. Everyone saw that there was a, a land that was prosperous, that was amazing. There were some people, though, that put a butt in front of what God had for them. It is great, but there is giants. Have you ever been to a situation where you feel like God deposited a vision in your heart and you start sharing with people that walk with you, and they start pointing out, but would you have the provision? Would you have the money? Would you have this and that? You need all the things aligned in order to go and do it. And we get often these voices in our minds that are affecting the way we see things, that are affecting our vision. And I love this statement about uh, from Bill Johnson: "Complaining is the language of fear and unbelief." So whenever you share a vision with someone, and the first thing that you hear is complaining and unbelief, hey, you might want to try to find your Caleb. Try to find someone that is going to come around you and say, hey, let's go and conquer, no matter the size. Let's go all at once. Let's go together, and we shall conquer. The thing is that when seeing, and our generation, more than any other generation has been trained to see what's near. Most of the days, and then I know neck pain, probably most of you guys have neck pain because you're on the phone all day. Scrolling, our generation, maybe a future generation will will grow up like this because our vision is being so affected and being robbed to see beyond. And one of my favorite animals that I love is the eagle because it's not like a nearsighted animal. It sees beyond. It sees the potential like Caleb is seeing beyond the giants, beyond the challenges, beyond the circumstances. It's not being nearsighted. And I want to encourage you to really walk and ask God, what is your vision? And tell you that a vision that God gives you will always carry provision. The prefix of the word provision is pro, which means in favor of. So I'm giving provision, I'm in favor of your vision. If God gave you a vision, He will meet you with everything that you need in order to get that vision. And my question is, what is blocking our vision in this season? Because that's a question that I asked myself this week. And there's a passage that one of my, I don't know why, but I love Isaiah 6. I read it often. And this week I heard a pastor friend of mine say something about this uh, passage in Isaiah that I have never thought before. Isaiah 6, verse 1, just the first part. I love this. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Simple verse. But look at this. It was when the king died that I saw the Lord. Who is the king in your heart? Who is occupying your heart that is in the way of seeing God? And God began to challenge me. I'm paying too much attention. There's things consuming my hearts. More than seeing Him. And we need to let those things die so that we can see God. So that because if we want to conquer guys, we need to see right. I promised my message, I know we had the longer video. It won't be too long, so bear with me here. I have like a, a shorter uh, condense, but it's going to be a good message, I promise to you. I want to tell you something about uh, something else about the vision of God for your life. God's vision for you. Is always greater than you. That's why I so loved your story this morning. I feel it was so on point. Because it's four generations. It it doesn't, and then like this going back to the same verse here, real quick. Look, I'm giving all this land, going and occupy it. I gave to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all, not a few, their descendants. So the vision of God for Abraham was way bigger than himself. That's why God asked him and when he actually gave him a vision is look up to the skies, see all the stars, look to the sand and God is always going to give you a vision to you that is going to be bigger than yourself and he's going to be involved with you. So don't fear and that's the posture that we see here in the, the heart of Caleb that I love is that he knew the decisions that he was taking, it would affect his future generations. I I heard this, that the name of Caleb's, Caleb came from the tribe of Judah, if I'm not wrong. I can go back and check, but (laughs) check this out. His father's name meant to turn from him. It's like his dad rejected him, but he chose the inheritance that was on his tribe to walk into that inheritance. And so maybe you're here and you had a parents that turned on you. You didn't come, you do not find like a background. I want to tell you, there's an inheritance for you. Once you became children of God, God has promises over your life. God has a beautiful vision for you. And he wants us to awake, awaken us for that vision. That's why is what Pastor trying saying. Like, what is your responsibility? What is God calling you to do right now? And that reminds me, Actually, of one of my favorite stories, I've been here in Canada for six years. Uh, when we first moved in, I think two, three weeks after I was speaking, we, as we know, and if, if this is your first time, we are a mobile church. We've been to 14 different venues. This is our 14th venue. This is the venue that we've been the longest, and this is the venue in Jesus' name before our promised land, our, our building that is coming in Jesus' name. We'll speak it and we declare it. But I spoke at this uh, venue called All Saints, and I know because I see all the faces, many of you weren't there. So I'll share this story again. I shared back then, six years ago. Growing up, I got saved when I was 13. The church that I was a part had a beautiful vision for houses of prayer, establishing houses of prayer around the globe. The first house that they got, it was in Rio de Janeiro, I even spoke with an accent, Rio de Janeiro, okay, just in Portuguese, no accent needed. Uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil, where I was born, but I moved to Sao Paulo. Anyways, then we got a house of prayer in uh, the USA, then after one in Istanbul, then one in Israel, then one in Japan. That was back when I was like, from my, when I was 13 all the way to 17. But this particular house in Rio de Janeiro, there was something special that... As a church, the church was from Sao Paulo City. That is like, it's the distance from here in Toronto. And we used to go there for retreats. Uh, In my youth days, I would go for youth camps in that house of prayer. It wasn't mentioned that someone donated to the church. It was on the top of this, uh, this, this beautiful mountain in Rio. But also one of the dangerous places to be in. So really going into, we would always go with a bus, go together, never going alone. It was like a rough area. But it was beautiful because that house and a hospital were the only ones that had access to the really top of that mountain. So I have a picture of that, that house uh, that we can put on the screen. So this is the house, and this is where, is where the top uh, of the house were. And we made a little, we put some uh, benches there so we could have moments. And growing up, I had, I can name to you guys numerous encounters, seating, crying out as we had a sight over Rio, and then we can go back to the other image. This is the vision that we had from, uh, of course, this is a picture from the internet, but you could see the entire Rio de Janeiro from uh, Christ the Redeemer all the way across, and you, can, you really had a, like a, the, the best, and this is considered the best 360 view of Rio de Janeiro. Uh, and I remember many encounters that I had there, Like, honestly, like encounters with Holy Spirit, moments of healing, uh, saw many friends encountering Jesus, salvations happening in that place, freedom really, like, happened to to me, and I used to go at least twice a year for all the way into my college years, and then what happened was I I turned uh, 17 and I went to Liberty University in the States uh, in Virginia for my university degree, and... Check this out. As soon as I get to Liberty, and the Lord said, I want you to study the story of your great-grandfather. Didn't understand why, but I knew my dad had a lot of data, and said he knew a lot of people in my family. I said, Dad, find whatever you can find on great-grandfather and send it my way. And then he did, and I started reading a record that when he was young— there was one place that was his favorite place to go growing up in Rio. His family came from the States to Brazil. He he was born in Brazil and he uh, he was a place that he used to love to go and have moments of prayer. Where was that place? Top of mountain of uh, Santa Teresa. And it was in the late 1800s that France gave to Brazil a gift, we don't go back to that, that image, you see, can you see the Christ the Redeemer on the very top there. I know that people, I, I don't like Christ, the, the, the symbol, because the symbol represented the idolatry coming into Brazil. Uh, and it was the growth of, uh, really, the spirit of idolatry, idol, idolatry coming. And he actually saw and heard the movements of people establishing that statue. And the the accounts that I was, like historical accounts that I was reading, it said that that day he was sitting on top of that mountain and he heard in his spirit and became to cry. And he felt called for ministry that morning. He said, like, I wanted to go and make a change and do something with my life so that I can impact my future generations because I want Brazil to have an impact for Jesus. And he came down that day deciding to go to ministry. And he went, and he's actually one of the, the guys that have published so many books in uh, the theology school and seminary in Brazil of one of the biggest Christian universities that we have down there. And God took me to these other accounts, and I read a church bulletin for celebrating, I think, I don't know how many years after he was, he, his life passed away. And the the church account said at the very end. And the life of William Kerr bared fruits a hundredfold. Fruits you cannot count. And in the moments that I read that statement in my room, in my dorm at Liberty University, I began to cry. Holy Spirit really invaded the room and said, you are a fruit of His prayer. And we may not understand, but we have Such a beautiful inheritance, guys. We don't know the prayers that were set before us. If you are here today, I can guarantee that you are a fruit of someone's prayer for your life. They say that when you speak a word, the words that, like, I'm not that geek or nerdy, but the the sound wave of, it never goes to zero. It goes, like, close, but it never goes to zero. That's why our declarations and our prayers are so important because we're building things. So the same way that Harley modeled and Jean modeled to their kids. And when they saw the tornado, they knew what they need to do. And something else that I didn't tell, that Holy Spirit also told me, in the first account it says that my grandfather's dream was to go back and study in the States. And he never got a chance to. And Holy Spirit told me you're accomplishing his dream. And I wanna encourage you to keep pushing a vision of God for you is always greater than you. It's for your future generations. That's why we, what we do, church, that's why kid culture is so important, because we're fighting for the future generation. It's not only for us. That's why our posture here, when we come, when we serve, when we come prepare this place, we're doing for others. Amen? Let's, amen, praise Jesus. Number two, let's continue back and go back to that verse. Look, I'm giving all this land to you. Go in. I'll stop here and occupy it. But I'll go in and I'll stop at go in. Number two is we got to enter. We always, when we see something, we have a decision to make do we want to go in or do we want to stay? The report of some of the other leaders is too difficult. It's better we stay here. It's better we stay with the manna. I don't need the instructions of actually going in. And that's something I value so much because that's a decision that we all had to make. Most of us in this room, if you got saved, you entered through the door. But let me encourage you that God has way more for you than just entering life with jesus is just not simply entering it's an important step you're establishing you're pushing you're putting your feet on the ground uh check this verse in uh hebrews 10 19 for the time's sake i'll only read the first part and so dear brothers and sisters we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of jesus how do we enter with boldness God is encouraging us to really, in the season, to be bold. I heard this statement that also, I'm writing a lot of things as being processing this message, is your life expands and shrinks based on how big your courage is. Depending on your courage, you're going to be limiting yourself to walk into God's vision for you. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to wait for the perfect atmosphere. You are called to set an atmosphere. Maybe you heard that before, we're not called to be a thermometers and just expose what the temperature is. We're called to be a Google Nest, a thermostat. We set the temperature and everything changes. We are called to set a temperature and not be affected by the temperature. I want to encourage you to be bold in this season. I'm going to jump in into the second part. As you saw, uh, the second point was a little short. Uh, number three is occupy it. Look, I'm giving this land to you. Go in and occupy it. Why? Because the, point number two and point number three, they go together. It doesn't stop. A life that you just say yes to Jesus and be saved and do, stop leaving for the rest of your life and just wait for Jesus to come back, it would be really boring. Yeah. Right? Once you enter, you got to do th- something. Right? You buy a new house. You enter into a new house. What do you do? Clean it. it. Good job. First clean it before you occupy it. You pray, you clean it, and you go in. And you occupy it and begin establishing yourself. We are called to occupy as a church. And I love the book, and we're going to dive into a story here in the book of Revelation. And I think I find it ironic that It's one of the hardest books to understand, but it's called Revelation. It's right there. It's a revelation. But anyways, there are seven churches established in the book of Revelations. And Jesus is instructing and giving instructions to them on how to position themselves to really occupy the place that they were established. They were established in seven different cities. And let me tell you, your influence at church doesn't stop as you leave the doors of, Cineplex, you are called to occupy the city that God put you in. We are all called to occupy Ottawa. So let's check it out. A few more verses, five verses, Revelation 2, 12 to 17. I think this is the third letter uh, to the churches and the church in Pergamum. Write this letter to the angel of the uh, the church in Pergamum. This is the message from one with a sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain loyal to me. You refuse to deny me uh, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, um, was married among you there in Satan's city. Man, it's a strong statement to say you're planting a church in Satan's city. Um, But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerated some of you whose teaching is like of Balaam and who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them uh, to to sin by eating good food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans uh, among you who have followed the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against those with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who has ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying. And to the churches, to everyone who is victorious, I will give them some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. When God does something in your life, the following step is always to occupy. Don't be just content. Oh, Man, I had an amazing encounter at church this morning. Monday comes around, you're turning into a completely different person. We all have that challenge, guys. You're going to face the stresses of work. Your, your real life comes at you, and you're going to have a challenge. If God did something in you, if you felt lighter, maybe it was like something that was inside of you here that you're carrying heavy inside, and you came and you felt lighter, you got to be able to occupy. We talked about a few last weeks. Cultivate. Prepare the soil. Plant good seeds. Cultivate with God's word. Because or or not, what will happen? Um, Matthew 12, 43 to 45 says, When an evil spirit leaves a person and it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none, then it says, I will return to the person where I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, all clean and in order. Then the evil spirit finds seven other spirits, more evil than that, and they enter the person and leave there. And so the person is worse than before. So I know it's hard word, but understand the principle here. You got in, you received freedom, occupied that place. It is so important that you establish a new reality Otherwise, your condition later will be worse than when, when you first came. And that has to produce not man's fear in you, but the fear of God. I want to occupy. I've been called to this place. The goal is conquering and occupy. I find it funny that Jesus didn't create a word. Jesus is a creator. But whenever he was talking to the disciple, he appointed them as apostles. Apostles wasn't the first time when he called the disciples that. The first time they heard that word. No, he chose a word that was already common to the area, to the Romans. What were apostles? Apostles were a group of people that once Roman's army entered and conquered a city, they would come with a group of people of around 300 people and they would do what? Establish a new culture. They will bring Roman's culture into that city. That city is now part of Roman culture. So they will enforce all the Roman laws. They will enforce all the habits. They were creating and shifting the culture. So what Jesus is saying to the disciples, hey, I'm preparing you guys to go in and multiply because you all have a responsibility. You're going to take a group of people with you and you're going to set a new culture. And you're going to establish something new. And we are called to not fear any cities. But to go and conquer. We are called to create culture. And this culture is heaven's culture. It's the, even within our name, the kingdom culture. What is in the kingdom of God? There's no room for pain. No room for sickness. Hey, let's establish here. Let's believe for full healing in your neck. We are declaring, simply declaring God's reality. Hey, we don't leave. We live above. We see above. We see beyond the natural. We see on the supernatural. And this is what God's calling you to go and have new eyes, have new vision to see and really conquer in this, in this time. I love another verse that I always read this verse and thought of it in a different way, in a defensive way. Matthew 16 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. I always heard this passage and he thought, man, like heaven's attack is not going to reach me. But hear me out. Gates are not weapons of attack. They're weapons of defense. So what Jesus is telling Peter, hey, I'll build my church. I'll establish my church. Go inside the enemy. His gates are not going to hold you. Their territory is not going to hold you. It's not going to prevail against you. You will win. In Satan's territory and that's why we read this passage and they chose this church of Pergamum because God chose Pergamum he pretty much saw hey found a nice neighborhood here it's called it's from Satan let's build it let's build a house found a beautiful backyard here from Satan hey it's my place now it's my house now and I love it because I think that we live in so much fear and for such a long time, the church says, I don't want to be contained with this word. I don't want to, oh, man, no, no, so, so much sin. No, no, we establish the culture. We come and we occupy. And we're not influenced. And let's take a look here. I wasn't a huge fan of history, okay? in going up in school, either university, I wasn't, like, I was really bored at some classes. I won't bore you with some history, but it's important we understand a little bit of the history of the Church of Pergamon here. There was a city founder, his name was Elminis. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it right. He's a descendant from one guy that was one of the four main guys that we used to walk with, Alexander the Great. He wanted Pergamon, when he founded Pergamon, to be the center of culture in the world. He said, hey, we're gonna influence the world with our culture. And he had a brilliant idea. He said, I am going to build in order to influence culture, the biggest library that there is in the world. But he didn't think of all the things and became in not so good terms with Egypt, who were the main suppliers of paper, called papyrus, that came from the river, okay? I won't go into too many details to to bore you. He said, shoot, we don't have our supplier. I worked with China so many years, so it's tough when you don't have a supplier for a product that you need. So he had to find a solution. He said, What if I kill some animals, take off their skins, and we're going to write on their skins? That's what parchment, the parchment paper, came from, comes from Pergamum. It was his solution to find, and he established the second biggest library in the world. Also, Pergamum had the largest medical school at that time. At the time, the medical field was filled with mysticism. Not only like the, they had their doctoral procedures like with their studies, but they also filled uh, mysticism. And the symbol for medicine that they established was a serpent. And they so influenced that until today, if you look at the symbol of the medical field, is what a serpent. So they influenced that so much. So. God, knowing all this, decided, I'm going to plant a church there. And there are three reasons why there is an altar for, that they call Satan's home there. There was an altar for Zeus. There was a center of worship to the snake, to the serpents for cure. And Pergamon was the first place to raise a temple to worship a man and not a god. And God knew what he was doing. And he highlights when he tells the story here. And I know we're getting tight on time, so I'll speed up a little bit. But he celebrates Antipas that says, you refuse to deny me. And like he talks about the church. You refused to deny me even when Antipas was dead and was killed. And I love that. Antipas was a martyr. He died through the people of Pergamon. They put him in the Uh, a bronze um, sheep and set the thing on fire and burned him alive. But the people still continued to push. But there was a problem with that city, and we're going to address this really quick here. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up people of Israel. And then he talks about the Nicolaitans as well. These two uh, highlights, these two things tolerating some things. If the devil cannot attack you, he finds closed doors, he will try to sneak something, some lies in your midst. Uh, I won't get the whole time to go in and maybe we can dive in deeper into another time, but Balak and Balan, if you if you go back to the history, they just really represent, uh, sorry, Barak. He hired Balan to... Curse Israel. But every time he tried to curse, what happened? Blessing would come out of his mouth. And this is what I, like God is saying establishing the church. Don't fear your city. Even if they curse, I'll, I'll flip the words. Blessing is going to come. A blessing is going to come your way. But they said, be careful because they're going to try. So they tried, they, they tried to speak in. Didn't work. So they tried a different tactic. We'll put some women... Around with some food you're not supposed to eat, and they got in. And we gotta protect ourselves. You are just as responsible as I am to protect and guard what God has for our lives. And the other uh Nicolation, say I don't even know how to say that in English. It is too hard for me. But he had a theory, this guy. He said that my body is separate from my spirit, so what I do doesn't affect one, what I do in one doesn't affect the other. And this is a problem of today that we are experiencing. A lot of people are coming up with crazy theories that he was abusing grace. And people are distorting the truth. And we got to stand for the truth. If we want to win in Satan's territory, we got to stand for what is truth. And guard yourself and protect yourself in that regard. And to the winner. Anyone who has ears must be listening to the Spirit. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And also a white stone. What are those these two things? Hidden manna. Manna represented provision. But the provision would go bad after one day and you needed something new. But the secret manna, the manna that was in the presence of God, never grew bad. God is saying, hey, trust me, occupy. Continue to stay strong and I will provide for you supernaturally, the hidden manna. Provision is always going to be in your house. You want to walk in vision, provision is always going to be with you. And the second item is the white stone that has two meanings. Harley's going to like the first one if she didn't know yet. White stone was given to a person who was before the jury, and it was given as a sign that that person was not condemned. All the condemnation against that person was now gone, and we are free in Jesus. Many times in your walk with God, the devil is going to come around and try to sneak in some lies and talk about your past, things you did in your past. Let me tell you something. When the devil tries to remember about your, your past, remind him of his future. Don't let lies come in stay strong. And the second that I love the meaning about the white stone is that it represented a stay. It was like a Airbnb of the day. A host would open his house, have somebody come in. If they did a good job, he would break, cut a stone in part. It works as a key. He, the, the property manager, the manager would give a piece of the stone and say, hey, you're always welcome here. Whenever you come back, let me check your stone. It matches. It fits. You're welcome in. Jesus is always inviting us to this place and he wants to give that stone because he went and prepared a place for us. Now he's asking, what are we going to do to occupy and conquer? I can uh, The worship team can come up back on stage. I want to really encourage you that to occupy yourself just speaking on the practical here occupy yourself with worship we became we become who we worship we become just like the things that we worship you spend too much time try this if you maybe on Facebook or Twitter you, they develop the, the smart if you're searching too much of a topic they're going to begin putting sponsor like sponsored ad around that topic or if you talk to your phone they're going to listen to you and put ads that relate to that But the same thing is that we need to spend more time occupying ourselves with the King of Kings, deoccupying with other kings. And I want to encourage you, we as a house, uh, declaring this, and also we're going to be following up. We're going to do something as a house through our social media as well. We're going to, for the next 21 days, we're going to be 21 days of activating generosity, occupying our lives with generosity, exercising the muscle of generosity. In simple ways, in simple ways like paying a coffee to a stranger. We'll, we'll give uh, suggestions on our social media, you're more than welcome to follow, but I want to encourage you to leverage stories and let God use. You, in these moments, in these next 21 days, establish a new habit. Like Pastor Sean says, generosity is not meant to be complicated. It's something simple. Yeah. And there are a few ways that you can be generous with your finances, with your worship, like we said, with your time, with your talents. We have opportunities coming in the second semester. Let us worship. Maybe you never joined team before. It's a great opportunity to try out what being on a team, being in community is. Take a step. Even today, you've been coming to this house and you never tried team, or you're being a team, you want to try a different team. Take an action today. My practical action to you today is get involved with God, what God's doing. Yeah. My pastor in Brazil would always say this to me. Always pray one prayer. Jesus, what are you doing? Let me be part of it. I want to be part of it. I want to be part of what you're doing in this season. I want to be part of what you're doing. So we're going to stand as a church, I want you to close your eyes here for a second. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're just hurrying, hearing, hearing the, God's word for the very first time, and you're hearing, look, go in and occupy. Maybe you've been on a stage where you've seen, but you felt like your, your sight has not seen rights. I want to encourage you to position yourself in a season like this. Position yourself with truth. So, With eye, all eyes closed, I want to give an invite for those that never said yes to Jesus, that never entered this reality See maybe even hard for you to understand my message today because you never experienced this. I want to say there's an invitation for you to experience that and to enter and to check out and to live a life full of His presence that will change you, do transform you. And I guarantee you won't regret that decision. So if that's you today with all eyes closed, please lift your hands. Nobody's looking. Only God is seeing your hands. If that's you and you want to enter or you feel like you've been so far from the kingdom of God that you want to come back into his house, we are like a prodigal son this morning. Let's all as a church repeat this prayer saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for going and preparing the way. I say yes to you. I want to enter into your kingdom and live a life with you, all the days of my life. I ask forgiveness for my sins. And today, I give you my yes. In Jesus' name.